The Real Estate Unsuccess Stories podcast features people from the real estate community sharing real stories about their struggles, pains, and even losses during their own real estate journey. We share these real experiences so you can learn from them and build a successful journey of your own. Now, here's your host, Cody Lewis, one of the managing partners at Vindu Capital, located in Charleston, South Carolina everyone and welcome back to the show. I'm so excited to have y'all back, but I'm even more excited for our guest today. He's the co-founder of the Sierra Capital Group, Mark Sierra. How are you today, sir? Hey, I'm great, Cody. Thanks for having me here. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for joining us. We really appreciate the time and, and, and everything we've done today. For those that maybe are hearing your name and voice for the first time, seeing your face, tell us a little bit about your origin story, You know where you're from, how you got into real estate and what you're really doing these days. Well, I'll kind of take you all the way back to the beginning. I graduated from Iowa State University in 2002 as an accounting major and got a CPA, went and worked for uh, a number of consulting firms, Ernst & Young and Navig Consulting and a law firm um, in their construction practice. And along the way, I met a client of mine who brought me on uh, as part of the company in 2010 and eventually brought me on as their CFO in about 2015. And that's where I am today as a, you know, I'm a professional uh, um, in the business of consulting as their CFO. But my you know, history with real estate really starts with my wife in 2007 when I met her. She's a general contractor here in Chicago. You know, she really opened my eyes to the fact that you know, people with normal means can actually invest in real estate. Before that, I really just thought it was you know, ultra wealthy building skyscrapers in big cities and, and things like that. Um, uh, but when we got married in 2010, we bought a piece of property here in Chicago that we were going to build our own house on. And we just ended up not, not building our own house. It wasn't the right place. And we divided the property and built a couple of single family homes spec and sold those and, and made a, a little bit of a profit, but it really opened up my eyes that we could be investing in real estate. And so we did that several more times from 2010 um, and still do that today with single families and condo developments. And she really spearheads a lot of that work as the general contractor. But in about 2016, we got interested in passive investing. Uh, just as we built up a nest egg, we were we were uh, maxing out the 401ks, and you know we had flip, flipped some homes, we had built some homes, and we had some real estate income to put to work for us. Uh, and at the same time, my career was taking off, so I was looking for ways to invest uh, more passively uh, than than the active route. And so we started doing syndications and apartment buildings and self storage and mobile home parks. Um, we did some mentorships and played with uh, being an active operator of mobile home parks, but eventually realized that the best path to my success was to use you know, our, our day job incomes as a vehicle to invest passively with other operators. And so that's what we do today is help busy professionals like myself take their, their active income from their day jobs and diversify from their traditional portfolios into uh, passive real estate investments. You know, that's where we're focused today. Well, listen, I love it. We talk about it all the time. Everyone has a unique background and comes in. I think it's really interesting uh, with what you were able to do, but also meeting your wife who was already in real estate and learning from what she was able to do. That's awesome. We have a little bit of commonality there. My wife's a real estate attorney. So she kind of introduced me to the real estate side and kind of grew that that knowledge along the way as well. So that's awesome. 
but Mark, I, I know we were talking offline. Y'all have had a ton of success. You got a lot of great things going on with you right yourself right now with what y'all are doing. Uh, but we do a little bit differently here. We want to talk about some of the struggles or challenges you had along the way. Uh, as we brought you on, would love to hear about what you were thinking and, and some of the things that you faced in your real estate career thus far. You know, I, I can't point to any single project as a, as a failure or portfolio killer that I'd like to highlight necessarily. We have had challenging projects, nothing that's gone completely off the rails. But what it has really highlighted for me is that diversification in your portfolio, especially real estate, when you're dealing with large chunks of your capital, especially passively $25,000, $100,000 in investment, which are lar- typically large pieces of your overall net worth, you're exposing yourself to a lot of portfolio concentration, either with operators or single projects. And that is potentially challenging because if any of those goes off the rails, that can set you back in your retirement, in your um, portfolio many years. You know, if you lose fifty dollars or $100,000 because a project fails, it will take years and years at 10 or 12 or 15% returns to build up and exceed where you would have been if you just invested uh, in a stable project at 9, 10, 11, 12% return. You know, it's very important to, to, to keep focused on diversification. Don't get um, concentrated. And we can talk about a, cu- a few of the challenging projects that we've encountered, you know, from development to rehabs and, and why those are challenging. But the real big picture is, is really around that diversification thing. And that's the lesson that we learned as we've gone through our career. I love that. And, and if you don't mind me asking, you know, uh, I think we have a lot of listeners that are either just getting into real estate or looking to get into real estate from, from what we've seen. And I think a lot of times they're on the fence about this whole LPGP side. And, and I love that where you're able to really carve out a niche and, and know that you can be on that LP side and be perfectly fine with that. When you're looking at diversify and you're looking at other operators, what are some of the things that stick out to you that, that maybe help tell you they, they're probably a good operator or maybe some things that stick out that are red flags and say, Ooh, you know, I either need to investigate this further or that's just not the right opportunity for me. Yeah. You know, what we've found with most operators investing passively is that, you know, you, you use the 80, 20 rule, you look at an operator and you want to evaluate how they operate, what their systems and processes are, and especially focus on their track record and, you know, seeing that they've been able to set a goal, accomplish a goal, you know, set a target, accomplish the, the return target. You know, they're returning their capital. They're not, um, you know, going from multifamily to mobile home park, to self-storage, to development, to, you know, that there's some sort of consistency in their theme, how they treat their investors, transparency, all of those things are more important than specific deal underwriting. Um, because what we found is that, that underwriting can tell you something about the deal. It can tell you something about how the operator expects the future to look, uh, but most likely it's going to be wrong because they can't predict the future. As you can imagine, it's very hard to predict where interest rates and rents and inflation are going. So it's more important to understand how the operator underrates, whether it's conservative or aggressive uh, and how that impacts their potential deal and deal flow in the future, as opposed to a specific you know, deal itself. Now, that doesn't mean you don't end up looking at the deal, but I would say 80% of your time should be, should be focused on uh, evaluating the operator. And once that comfort level is there, uh, you can start to look at the deal level 
dynamics and whether, you know, certain neighborhoods are great in uh, Tampa where the, the operator is, you know, presenting their deal to you. Those are my suggestions on, especially the passive side, how to evaluate where to find good operators. I, read, I think you mentioned something about red flags and maybe we'll come back to that in a little bit, but you know, those red flags really are around, you know, if you're doing history, just searching Google as a way to, to find news articles and, you know, you can, you can go out to LexisNexis and do background checks. That'll bring all kinds of red flags if they have any history of, um, you know, bad dealings, that sort of thing. And then talking to other investors about their experience with those operators. There's a lot of you know, experienced investors out there who can guide you in those directions and, and pre- present some red flags. I, I love that. It, we had on uh, Chad Sutton recently, and he was talking about, uh, to your point of the underwriting and, and looking at the deal structure and all that, that's like a GPS. That's just kind of your guide. It's not by any means exactly what's going to happen. It's not exactly how everything's going to work out or how you're going to get to the end goal. You oftentimes find yourself making slight adjustments along the way down your journey because of unexpected things that happen. So to your point, having somebody or an operator that you feel comfortable with that can navigate those waters, but also has the experience to navigate those waters, I think is crucial, whether it's them or somebody on their team or a partnership that they have, they, they need that experience to draw upon when the trouble comes, because to your point, I, you know, very rarely does anybody stay true to the exact word of the underwriting that you saw on that first webinar, you know, before That's right. you invest your money. And we're also the mindset is one of the main things that we keep hearing is it's operator first, operator first. It doesn't matter the deal of the market. If the operator's not good, they're probably going to struggle managing a property. If the operator is great, if it's a good property, it's just going to be an easy home run. If it's a struggling property, they have a higher likelihood of being able to get out of it successfully. Absolutely. Yeah. And that point is, is important. It's, it's about how the operator can deal with challenges on a project because storms happen, boilers break, roofs leak, um, you know, all of those things happen in real estate and understanding what, you know, what systems those operators have in place to deal with problems, how they've done that in the past and their partners on the ground, contractors, property managers, uh, you know, if they're experienced and they have track record as well, that lends a lot to their credibility. Perfect. And you mentioned you, y'all also have done some of your own stuff in real estate. Y'all had some issues or struggles along the way there. I, nothing major, but I know y'all, y'all have run into some challenges. How did y'all navigate that kind of thing when those cropped up on your properties? I'll take an example of doing, you know, gut rehabs or renovations. We've done several of those. And the, the challenge just to highlight one, you know, aspect of real estate is that when you're doing a gut rehab, you don't know what's behind the walls. You can estimate and you're going in purchasing a property based on that estimate. But until you get in there and start ripping things out, you don't know whether the floor trusses are, are terrible. You may have an idea that some of them need to be replaced, but you don't know that a whole entire floor uh, may be rotted or some animal was, was in there chewing on them or something. You know, that happens. And when that happens, you know, we had that happen on one of our projects where we had to replace you know, almost all of the floor trusses, even though we went in there, we bounced on them. You know, we did all that we, we could in a hundred year old house to try to figure out whether the place, um, you know, was about to collapse or whether we could go in and just, you know, take out the walls and put up new drywall. Uh, there's a big difference between those two. And when that happens, 
you end up, you know, maybe not making money or losing some money. And the point is, you know, we didn't, it didn't kill our portfolio. It wasn't a major failure, but it's unpredictability. If you're taking all your money and you're putting it in that one project, you're, you're ending up taking a lot of risk. And that's the point is, uh, you know, you need to understand that risk and, you know, have some other set of investments that is acting as your foundation upon which you are confident that those returns are likely going to be there as opposed to something that you're taking much more risky, concentrated risk, you know, concentration in your portfolio uh, where you may uh, have more losses or even higher gains, right? That's mm-hmm. the point. When you're talking to other folks that want to take a similar path as what you did, are you telling them not only to d- diversify with other operators, but are you also telling them to look at other asset classes when uh, they're looking at diversifying their their kind of uh, investment portfolio outside of the market? Yes, absolutely. So, you know, multifamily is great. It's one of the largest areas that's accessible ac- accessible to passive investors. But there's a lot of real estate out there, and office and and industrial in particular, which is seeing some great runs over the last few years and probably has a bright future. Um, so diversifying outside of single family or construction or development or any of those things, multifamily is important, I believe, to a portfolio because same reason, concentration. Multifamily may not always be the bright spot. Industrial may be great today. It may not be great tomorrow. We've seen runs in the past where industrial was not performing very well. Same thing with retail struggling today. It may be the bright star in the future. Who knows? Uh, maybe people will, will be frequenting restaurants uh, five years from now because they've had five years of not going to restaurants. And right. you know, we just don't know. And that's why diversification is so important. How do you keep your your pulse on things as you're looking at diversifying and, and looking at all these different asset classes, all these different operators? What have you found as maybe a, a nugget to help our audience with with keeping a pulse on different things? So you you may not get in super early on some of these waves that you can, you know, crush it, but you can probably get in early enough if you pay attention to what's going on uh, that you can make a little bit more money than others. How, how do you keep a pulse on some of that stuff? You know, I think um, like many investors, there's, there's lots of resources out there, whether it's, you know, watching Bloomberg news and, and things like that for the stock market um, for real estate, there's conferences. You can get on um, the sponsors lists and they'll tell you, monthly, maybe weekly, the types of deals they're looking at, what they're seeing in the market um, and where they believe things are going. It doesn't mean it's right, but you, if, you, if you read enough of these updates, you're going to get a, a sense of where the market thinks things are going. You know, Annually, this time of year especially, everybody's putting out a report of where they think the market is this year, where it was last year, where the opportunities are, you know, we, we happen to live in an age where there's so much information out there that is fresh um, content, that's fresh data. 20 years ago, you couldn't go out and see, you know, rent increases and, and that sort of thing very readily. But now that information's out there, it may not be at the granular level that you want unless you're willing to pay for it, but you can get a sense uh, for where the market is just by being plugged in and, and getting on the right news feeds. Well, Mark, I think that's as good enough spot as ever to kind of wrap it up. I, I honestly can't thank you enough for your time today. I, I know I've taken some, some notes. Uh, I've heard you on some other podcasts. Uh, we really appreciate you being on here because you're always a wealth of knowledge when you jump on. So thank you so much for joining us today, Mark. Yeah, I really appreciate it, Cody. Yeah, uh, you absolutely. can reach out um, to us at sierracapitalgroup.com. That's C-I-R-A Capital Group. 
from there, you can land on our website. There's a, a downloadable ebook on diversification that we built. Um, plug in your email address and we'll get that right out to you. Perfect. We're going to drop both of those links in the show notes for everyone so you can quickly access them. Uh, so make sure you go check those out. Great ebook and make sure you get uh, grab that because I think it'll help out a lot. Mark, again, thank you for uh, what you were able to bring to our audience today. We really appreciate it, sir. Thanks a lot, Cody. Really happy to be here. Absolutely. And thanks everyone for listening. We'll find you next time. You've been listening to the Real Estate Unsuccess Stories podcast with Cody Lewis. Be sure to subscribe today on your favorite podcasting platform so you can catch every episode of the Real Estate Unsuccess Stories podcast.